This is WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. Coming up next, Art on the Air, with your host, Rob Hessler. on the air with your host Rob Hessler. This is an hour-long interview program dedicated to the visual arts. Each week we interview artists, curators, art writers, and art advocates about their theory, practice, and current projects. We interview artists in studio, on location, in special field notes, as well as at special arts and cultural events around the area. On this week's episode, we'll be playing part two of the three-part panel discussion about public art in Savannah, hosted by Christopher Monroe, that took place over three months to finish off 2019 at the Cultural Arts Center. So let's get started. Here's your host, Rob Hessler. on the air with your host Rob Hessler a special Christmas episode of Art on the Air for those of you listening live if you celebrate Christmas Merry Christmas and if you celebrate something else I just want to wish you a happy holiday there's a lot of different holidays that go on this time of year and I don't want to exclude anybody and I hope you all have had a wonderful holiday season and I'm happy to have you tuning in this week it is a brand new episode of Art on the Air and I think you're really going to enjoy it. We're going to be broadcasting the second in the public art lecture series that Christopher Monroe put together over at the Cultural Arts Center. This one all about public art funding. I was honored to be a part of the panel, actually, which, of course, was moderated by Christopher Monroe and included Melanie Wilson, director of the Metropolitan Planning Commission, and Caitlin Kearney, public art director for public art Chattanooga and of course Chattanooga is a comparable city in size to Savannah and they've got a great public arts culture there and so I think we can learn a lot from them it was a really great panel and I have to kind of admit out of that group of Melanie Wilson and Caitlin Kearney and Christopher I sort of felt like one of those uh which one of these things does not belong up there on the stage but I did my best to I think represent us local artists here in Savannah and take all of what I've learned from interviewing so many of you and bringing that as the third panelist there and we had a really great discussion again it was really focused on funding and I've gotten I've gotten the opportunity to successfully fund a few public arts projects and Melanie and Caitlin, of course, have had many, many success stories with funding public art. And so it was a really great discussion that we had and got some really good questions from the audience as well. And this was the second one. I mentioned that because the first one you can find in the WRUU archives at WRUU.org on Spotify, on iTunes, and on DoSavannah.com on the Art Off the Air article that is associated with it that came out last week. Uh, if you want to get caught up before you listen on this one, you can go back and check out that first episode. But anyway, this panel discussion had a lot of great information. I didn't cut too much out. It was about an hour and a half, and I cut it down to about 50-so minutes, 52 minutes or so. So it's a lot of information in there. So I don't have a lot of time for chit-chat. But I did want to mention, of course, played the last, the first one last week, and we're going to play part three next Wednesday on Art on the Air Thanks for listening. Let's stay tuned now for the second of the public art lecture series all about public art funding from the Cultural Arts Center hosted by Christopher Monroe from November 14th, 2019. Enjoy. Thank you guys all for coming out. 
I just wanted to say thanks to Lisette for helping this all come together. So um, I, I want to have like sort of a relaxed discussion. This isn't going to be like a super hardcore lecture. Our theme is public art funding. So I'm going to introduce the panelists, um, and then I'm, we're going to go into a little bit more detail about the projects that our panelists have been involved in. And then at the end, we'll have some time for a Q&A from the audience. So if you all have any questions or anything like that, um, we'll have some time at the end for that. Thanks again you guys for coming. This is going to be hopefully a really important and interesting discussion. Um, I just want to, uh, I'm just going to read these bios of our panelists and then I'll let the panelists uh, describe a little bit more about themselves. But so to my left is Melanie Wilson. Melanie is the current executive director for the Savannah Chatham Metropolitan Planning Commission. Before she came to Savannah, she was director of planning and development for the city of Augusta and has over 30 years of urban planning and management experience in government the private sector and academia with experience developing and managing local, regional, and federal programs and agencies, as well as experience in grant administration. Uh, she is the past chair of the Planning and Black Community Division of the American Planning Association. She was director of the Department of Planning for Wake County in North Carolina. She was the director of policy and program coordination for the Governor's Office of Smart Growth in the state of Maryland. She was an adjunct professor of government and public policy for the University of Baltimore. She was also the director of the Office of Long Range Planning for the National Capital Planning Commission. She was also deputy director uh, of planning for the city of Baltimore. <laughs> this is only half of it. So I asked her. This is only half of it. She was also director of development for the Raleigh Housing Authority, among many, many other things. She has a BA in political. Uh, science and she has a master's of planning from the University of Virginia School of Architecture. So she's somewhat qualified to <laughs> To Melanie's left is uh, Caitlin Kearney and I just wanted to thank Caitlin again. She came down from Chattanooga to be here. This is going to be really exciting. Caitlin has served uh, as the director of Public Art Chattanooga, the city of Chattanooga's public art division since 2016. She moved back to her hometown after several years in Boston, where she was visual arts manager for the Rose Kennedy Greenway. While there, she established a highly acclaimed rotating mural program, the Greenway Wall, currently in its seventh season. Caitlin got her start in the public art field working for international sculptor John Henry as his exhibition manager, and went to earn her master's degree in arts administration from Boston University. Uh, she has spent her entire career working with artists to bring extraordinary ideas to life and has an extensive background in project management, producing exhibitions, artworks, and interventions in the public realm since 2007. By the way, I love that phraseology, in, uh, interventions in the public realm, I want to talk more about that. Um, as director of Public Art Chattanooga, Caitlin has spearheaded local legislation and policy to garner both public and private support for the program, including the formation of the Chattanooga Public Art Commission and a 2% for our city capital budget policy. Most recently, she completed a community-wide planning process and a 10-year public art strategic plan for the city. We'll definitely talk more about that. Caitlin was hooked early on by the transformative power of public art and its ability to create community and place. Now a mother of two girls, ages four and six, she enjoys experiencing art through their eyes and is always inspired by artists' ability to bring meaning and connection to public life in the mo most unexpected ways. You didn't bring your daughters with you, did you? No, I did not. Okay, I didn't think so. Solo trip. That would have been quite a <laughs> And finally, to, uh, to Caitlin's left is artist Rob Hessler. A lot of you guys might know Rob. He's exhibited his socially conscious works in several solo and group exhibitions at galleries throughout the United States. Recent solo shows include The One in the Duck Feather Cloak and The Other Side of the World at Bernal University's Leo Castelli Gallery in 2018, The Other Side of the Worlds Collide at the Cultural Arts Gallery in 2017, that was here in Savannah, and The Other Side of the World Part Three at Speakeasy Art Gallery in 2015. Uh, other recent projects include the performance art pieces uh, Hindenburg at Sulphur Studios as part of their On View Artist Residency Program in 2018, and Challenger at Telfair Museum's Jepson Center in conjunction with their Art 912 grant program. His works have been featured in the Paris-based art journal Instazance. It's a very commonly known. Know, so. <laughs> on, the front, on the front page of the Sunday edition of the Sunday uh, Savannah Morning News Arts and Leisure section, on the cover of Savannah Do, in the Metro section of the Sunday New York Times, and on NBC3 Savannah's The Southern Scene and The Bridge television program. He recently received grants from the Puffin Foundation and the Telfair Museum. 
He also hosts the weekly radio show Art on the Air on WRUU 107.5 FM in Savannah and acts as executive director of the art advocacy organization Bigger Pie. And so let's give, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you guys for showing up. So I've got a few, uh, you know, obviously everybody has ideas about public art and I get all kinds of ideas. People are like, oh, this should be done here and this should be done here and this should be done here and it's all great. <laughs> But you need money, and somebody's got to do it, and it's got to be planned out. And so ideas are, are great, but you know, funding is sort of fundamental. Um, and you know, we can, we, I wrote down, you know, there's government funding, uh, city, national, state, uh, there are grants, there are private investments, there are public-private partnerships, corporate sponsorships. And I just wanted to ask each of you, like, what's sort of the best success you've had, or is it an amalgam of all of the above? Or I would say that it's uh, an amalgam of all of the above because um, we had grants and there are grants that come in and I don't think people realize that whether it's through housing and community development and CDBG where we actually put a mural up which we don't have I didn't bring that but it, it was in an African-American neighborhood that had been totally neglected and they didn't have a sidewalk but they had a path that they walked so you could clearly see how they got from point A to point B. So uh, there was a contest, there was a mural, and we used some funds that we got um, for sustainability planning um, to also fund that mural and to fund a uh, living video podcast type event where we talked with local artists and people in the community that talked about what their experience was like um, in that area. So. We've, you know, you have to be creative when it comes to dealing with funding for the art. Um, you know, everybody has their own idea about what good art is, and that's what makes it, I think, challenging at times when you start talking about public art. Mm -hmm. um, if you get a chance, uh, as I said, Augusta's going through this right now with Splash 7, where they've got two artists, and they have submitted pieces of art that, even when I looked at it, I thought, oh my God, I can't believe that that's what was submitted. They did a national call. Um, and it wasn't something that the community liked. They had an open, they, they voted. Um, and then and people called the commission and you wouldn't have thought that people would have been that upset about art. But to me that was great because it means that people are paying attention mm -hmm. um, and really cared about, about, about art. But I would suggest that, that the thing that helped us out the most was actually getting a master plan. I do think that you really think need to have that. Um, so that you've got something to, even if you're applying for a grant with the National Arts um, Group, you've got to have something, or at least it makes sure, makes it easier for you to uh, get funding. In my opinion, yeah. through them and to uh, through other uh, funders, we've gotten funding from the Reynolds Foundation. I mean, it depends on what it is that you're putting up. Caitlin, do you want do you want to comment? Sure. I I mean I think combination of funding is always the most successful route. You know, the big um, grants. A lot of times, national grants are going to look for a, a match, some type of. I think that's a really important point. Um, and then, you know, Chattanooga's been in a weird, evolved in a, a weird way because we, we started out with mostly private funding going to projects. We have, we have a number of local foundations that invest back in Chattanooga. And um, I would say that we went from having 80% funded by private and 20% by city, and we've now flipped that. That's interesting. Um, but the, you know, either way, like the city's more inclined to fund if we've got a match from a, a private mm -hmm. source, and then the private sources are more inclined to fund if we have a match from the city. So I think we get far by not expecting the city to foot the whole bill, yeah. and vice versa. The other thing that we've had great success with um, as we've Kind of guided our partners and, and um, community groups in doing their fundraising is to get to get seed funding for to get you through the artist design competition mm -hmm. so that you have the vision. Um, it's really hard to to convince someone to fund a, um, a a memorial to a lynching if you don't have some type of vision of what that might look like. Yeah, that's an um, excellent. Point and too. so having Jerome's concepts in hand, they were able to raise. A million dollars. I mean, that's for their overall project, but a big, huge portion of that is going towards the memorial itself. Um, and so now, not to get too in the weeds, but did you you did the RFP and then you decided on the artist and then you went forward with more funding? Is that the Ed Johnson Committee put out the RFP with our guidance? 
with a um, set fun set funds for a concept design competition, okay. saying that they would be fundraising for a goal, so artists could see what the you know. I mean, I think they the have the general parameter, right? So, like, they set out a, a I think it was I think it was like four seventy five yeah. um, budget that was being fundraised, and that was clear to the artist applicants. But they would get paid no matter what for their concept. And then once you whittled it down to the final, right? So there were three concepts. <laughs> Jerome's concept was chosen, and then they could then start fundraising with that concept. That's really that's actually really helpful. Now. You're listening to Art on the Air's special presentation of the Public Arts Panel Discussion from the New Cultural Arts Center on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. Now back to the talk. If I could just say, you know, I think that there's an important distinction to make, though, between what is the most successful and what is actually best for an artist, because as an artist who's doing fundraising, what's been most successful is when I go around and basically beg people for money, like one at a time, and just like claw my way to getting as much money as possible for whatever project. But that's not best for making art by not even close. The... The fact is, is that the more people who are involved, especially when you start to get into private businesses, a lot of the times I've found that, that that actually makes the art less good because you're trying to, to a certain extent, appease or, or you know, make those people someone. happy, yeah, or not, not be offensive. Whereas if it can just be art for art's sake and there's a funding source that's like, the artist just makes good art and that's all it really needs to be. It doesn't have to have, you know, satisfy X company or X organization. And those are the, in my opinion, that's when the best work happens. Mm -hmm. Like, and I will say the, uh, the piece that, you know, that I got funded the least amount, which was the micro grant from the Telfair for $500 is the best work. Whereas the Hindenburg or the um, that ended up being involved in the Hindenburg and then the performance, the Challenger performance art piece at the at the Telfair, that was the best work. The most money I got was for the Puffin Foundation. The Puff, I got a Puffin Foundation grant, and then that was a jumping off point. But then I did like crowdfunding money. I was going to ask you about the crowdfunding. Yeah, and so that we actually overall that project raised about thirty seven hundred dollars. But that was so much legwork and so much running around and so much like not making art. Mm -hmm. It was fundraising, fundraising, fundraising. So like technically speaking, that was the most successful, but it wasn't the best for the art. More like, administrative than art making. And it's like like who it feels like you're selling out yourself the whole time. You know what I mean? You're just like, let me let me convince people to like give me money instead of just being like be at home like making art like that's not I don't feel like I mean I maybe this is just like totally arrogant or you I mean know, you, you read my mind I was gonna ask you generally the, the question you're answering yeah I mean I I think that it's it, it maybe it's a little entitled but I kind of feel like artists should be making art not spending all their time fundraising yeah I mean I, I was just gonna say though but I think that cities and towns need to be more creative with regards to um, just basic things that have to go in place. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've got tons of, of, of examples of just innovative um, uh, walkways uh, for greenways. Um, some of the bus stops where people got really creative with just putting up a really cool bus stop where yeah. artists got to basically create that bus stop so it really had some, some really, you know, really was beautiful. In, in Raleigh, believe it or not, in the 80s, the governor decided that people needed to learn how to lay brick. So they funded a project where, I call it the Great Wall of Six Forks, but it is the most beautiful Jersey wall that you will ever see. It is bricked, it's, 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 it's not a straight brick, it has some, some texture. Um, and, you know, again, I just think that from a, a government standpoint, we do have to be more creative with regards to just public infrastructure that we put in. It doesn't all have to be, you know, great Jersey walls. Utilitarian, um, yeah. And utilitarian. 
Uh, and it's That's a good an way to. Plan. It's also a good way to leverage funds so that you can get someone uh, that might have a vision for the area that you're trying to display. Like in Raleigh, there's a beautiful shimmering wall on the front of um, the convention center. When we were putting up the courthouse, I went around the country with a team of people because we wanted to create. Um, they're kind of like Macy's boxes where all the artists could display their work at the courthouse because it was a county courthouse. So we went around the country looking at different designs and came back and it's a really cool courthouse where we wanted to make sure that even at night people could benefit from just being in that downtown area and having you know some of the local artists be able to display their work. So we all have to be, I think, a little bit more creative and uh, and I don't want to say demanding, but pushing. You can say demanding. Okay. Well, <laughs> we just have to be, I think, more open to at least making sure that when public projects go up, and even some pro private projects, if it's on a public right away where it is going to impact you walking. One of my professors always told me at UVA. He says, you know, all architecture, all buildings, really have an impact on you mm -hmm. and on all people. So people don't realize people don't realize what that impact has on you so if there's any way to get some small slither of you know whether it's a display box or something where, where artists can display their work I think that that's something that's important but I do think that the public infrastructure piece is really crucial because there is funds there are funds for that it's just whether we are pushing um, the elected officials and the city and county to be innovative with what is put up that you experience. That's a perfect segue to the question I was gonna ask Caitlin, which is, can you talk a little bit about your implementation of this 10-year uh, public art strategic plan, the 2% for art capital uh, budget policy, and that sort of stuff? Because I think that, that'd be really informative to us. Yeah, I mean, art and capital takes public art to like a whole nother level. And in, in Chattanooga, there, the first try at that was actually with the 21st century waterfront redevelopment. So the, the new public spaces that Chattanooga has right along its riverfront, the mayor at the time decided to do 1% in capital for that project. And that was a $120 million project. So that meant 1.2 million for public art. And that realized three different projects, um, the most substantial being the passage which is a, um, a very immersive public space, but it is a, a telling of and celebration of the Cherokee and Native American uh, cultures, but also at the place where the Trail of Tears started. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you know, taking mm -hmm. those dollars and really doing something very um, significant and special um, and unique to Chattanooga. Um, I'm sorry, how long ago was that? That was in 2003, okay. and there was not, um, that was just a, um, a resolution that was um, adopted, and so people So that thought, was like a top-down type of thing? Yeah, so the mayor just decided, gotcha. yeah, and so the, the community and even the public art committee thought they had a 1% for art, but it was never um, solidified through any ordinance um, action, mm -hmm. so the city sort of gradually started to sort of renege on that. You know, they they would give maybe here and there, but eventually it was just sort of, a, you know, hodgepodge of like So to Melanie's the, point, there wasn't like a specific plan then in place and it sort of... There was a plan, we had a strategic plan in 2003 and that's okay. when that first time that mm -hmm. happened, but there was never an ordinance. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it's also, there's not, there's constant advocacy required. Mm -hmm. It is not just, even if there was an ordinance passed, like yeah. it would still require constant advocacy. And that just, I think, because we have such private support in Chattanooga, I think people got, I don't want to say lazy, but it just like, they got used to not having <laughs> to fight. They took it for granted. Yeah, they took it for granted. They got, they got used to private foundations funding everything, and nobody ever went back to sort of say, like, how, are, how do we change this policy? Mm -hmm. So with the new strategic plan, um, you know, Mayor Burke has always been very supportive of public art, but he wasn't, he wasn't going to, the arts committee and the, the arts community kept saying, you know, where's our 1% for art, where's our 1% for art, and he just wasn't going to do it for art's sake. He wasn't just going to say, like, here's your money and go do whatever you want, 
with art, just put art everywhere. Um, he wanted a new. Which wouldn't be a bad idea. No, <laughs> no would it be? Yeah, but there, you know, he wanted to see a new strategic plan. We needed a new strategic plan because it was 15 years old, and so uh, we did that. And what has what was most successful was aligning the capital dollars with capital construction projects because it was um, we assigned the dollars. Um, they're pooled and we assign them. So it gives us flexibility in the scale of project. We're not taking it, we're not saying that every single capital project has 1% for art, because that would honestly, like, we couldn't manage that. Right. Um, but what we're doing is we're saying overall the city is investing this much in new construction. We value art at 2%. <laughs> uh, we value art <laughs> enough to say that we're going to set 2% aside, and then the commission decides which capital projects get the allocation. That's what I was gonna ask how you administrate this. So it's the, it's the commission that, mm -hmm. okay. Gotcha. And so we have this past fiscal year, we look at the five-year capital plan and there are projects that are prioritized, um, parks, greenways, major transportation mm -hmm. corridors, new public service buildings, things like that. And then the commission helps narrow down um, what is gonna be the most impactful um, integration of art into a major construction. And that does save a lot, you know, when you're talking about projects like this um, that, that didn't come out of a, a capital project, but that there is major civil engineering and construction costs tied yeah. to, when you can align that with something that's already happening, you're saving so much money from the artist's budget. Um, and, and in this case, um, you know, so it, it just it, that that helps if you you're pooling your resources together and not putting it all not doing the like artists an and their team. Situation yeah, that's right. why. That's why the Rob, do you? I'm I'm guessing you have some comments. I think one of the main things, of course, is here. You know, just as you mentioned, you have a mayor who is supportive of doing uh, something like that. That is very supportive of the arts. And I mean, I think one of the things that you know, you're coming into a, we're coming into a situation here in Savannah where we don't really have that, so we need somebody that's like an advocate, you know, I think within like the city government that will say, okay, we're open to sitting down and working with you to create a master plan, working with you to decide how can we get money into artists' hands and how can we put more money, more art around the city and all of that. And I think that I brought some data, I brought some data here. Um, we did a, um, we did an arts and culture candidate questionnaire before this most recent election, and I know I think I saw Patrick Kelsey's in there. He was involved in that. My wife Gretchen here, um, Chris was involved in that as well, was, as well as many many others who helped with it. Where we we asked the candidates who were up for um, for election a number of questions on what they would be willing to support artistically and and um, if they would be supportive of such things. It was things. a nonpartisan. It was nonpartisan, yeah. There was, we asked everybody the exact same questions. We didn't, you know, we didn't advocate for any specific candidate or anything like that. It was just to get feedback from people. And, and we were pretty open-ended about the questions that we asked, but we did ask about 1% for the arts. And several of them were in agreement that 1% for the arts was something that they believed in. And uh, moreover, there's a lot of other ways in which the, the candidates were or willing to support the arts that isn't exactly money, but it's something that is, it's equal to money and like um, allowing the, the use of vacant city property, for example, for artists to do things with. And I think like that's things good, like really that, good. that's worth money to artists. Like it doesn't seem like it because it's not an actual dollar, but it really does matter when when you have a space, you can do something or, or you know, put up public art or even if it's a temporary kind of thing, that really does, that's one of the biggest costs actually is space, so. Yeah, I agree. Well, I know that for development, uh, I, 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 will, I will put this out here since I'm in Savannah. Um, SCAD, uh, when they came in with uh, their latest project, um, I suggested that they look at working with the city for the park that's close by and create a walkable museum. Uh, the North Carolina Museum of Art has this incredible outdoor space where artists can display their work and I'm like okay this is SCAD you should this is something that you could do to benefit and contribute to the city since you're a nonprofit um, and uh, it would help the people that live in the community as they're going through transition 
But again, I think that if you can pair it, I, I agree, she's right, that's, that's what the capital budget is about. Mm -hmm. It's still a planning process, and I think that a lot of times uh, it's very easy to kind of jump into something without taking a moment to come up with a plan and a strategy to make sure <laughs> that you're thinking through what is needed and where things are located so you can get the support that you need uh, and where you can leverage the funds right. uh, you know, to, to make sure that uh, it can be you know, implemented efficiently uh, with regards to saving money for the artist and for the city and for you know, even foundations that might uh, support particular projects. You're listening to Art on the Air's special presentation of the Public Arts Panel Discussion from the New Cultural Arts Center on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. We've got to take a quick break for a couple of messages, but we'll be right back with more of the talk. Art on the Air is brought to you by Starlandia Supply, located in the heart of the Starland District of Savannah at 2438 Bull Street. Starlandia Supply works to make art making more accessible to everyone by lowering the price of supplies through reclamation and trading. Starlandia helps customers recycle gently used art supplies and materials and also carries a fine selection of new materials including Windsor Newton, Liquitex, Faber-Castle, Montana spray paints, and Copics. Moreover, Starlandia Supply is the only locally owned art store in Savannah. They're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. More information can be found on Facebook by searching Starlandia Supply or at StarlandiaSupply.com. Shop local. Shop Starlandia Supply. Telfair Museums will present the 25th annual I Have Marks to Make exhibit, featuring works by individuals of diverse ages, backgrounds, and abilities. The exhibit will be on display at the Telfair's Jepson Center for the Arts from December 8th through January 12th. More information is available at telfair.org. My I ask a question actually at Caitlin that kind of relates to this is that you mentioned in a number of the projects that were shown that you had reached out to neighborhood associations, for example, and gotten support for projects and then kind of work with them to create things. I know that neighborhood associations in Savannah are really active and engaged in what's happening around here and a lot of a lot of the recently elected officials are are a lot talking about engaging with neighborhood associations. I'm kind of curious how that process worked. Like, how did you engage with the neighborhood associations and how did you kind of like work all that together? Because that, I think, is something that would really work in Savannah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think we're looking to identify those grassroots leaders in the neighborhoods, people that are, are, are skilled and can bring their community together around getting things done. Um, and the Neighborhood Services Division runs a program called Neighborhood University where um, people in neighborhood associations can go through sort of this leadership training of like how do you, you know, rally your neighborhood to take on projects and, and advocate for things that you want and talk to your city council person. Um, so that was really a great setup because, you know, public art projects are complex and um, you know, especially when you're working in neighborhoods, you have to be really careful to not just come in and, and place something, you know, in, especially in neighborhoods that, that have seen no investment and you come down and pop down an amazing piece of sculpture and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa like what's going on here? You do need community buy-in for all these yes. things. Yes, and, and, that, and that is time intensive. So, you know, I think Yes, neighborhood. They're great um, groups to get to get involved in a project to get um, council support. I mean, that has really through I think our art and neighborhoods programs. We've turned all our council people into supporters of art because awesome. they see how it impacts their district. And it and as long as art's happening in their district, they're all about it. Um, and so I think it is a great tool. But that's you encouraging do need, to hear. I mean, that's you great. do need staff. <laughs> you need a person whose job it is full-time to be advocating and to be offering resources and to be, to, you know, if, it, if there's not money, you know, there's just a person that's, that's finding the money and finding yeah, a the... Yeah, grant, a grants writer. But the other piece, too, that 
is real interesting being in a savanna environment that you all have to remember is that we just did a tax rollback that was what a nickel or it's very small amount but that was a two million dollar hit to the city of savannah's budget mm -hmm. and if citizens want public art you, you kind of need to be down there to at least advocate that it's okay if the tax rate stays the same it's or, or whatever it, it, things have to be paid for the other thing i would just throw out as a suggestion is that uh, neighborhoods could advocate for having an art allocation district that's treated like a tad where you're willing to pay a little extra but the money that goes into that fund goes to fund art in that boundary so there's a lot of creative things that probably could happen if the neighborhoods decide to go that route but that is one way that neighborhoods could probably get involved in and deal with advocating for having art in their particular neighborhood but I agree there's been so many areas where there's not been any investment uh, just for basic maintenance that I think we all would get in trouble uh, if we had this beautiful new piece of art go in when you've got a street that hasn't been paved in 30 years right. uh, so we have to be really mindful as we're looking at placing art and that's why I always suggest that we, we deal with having a master plan but also do an alignment with the capital and with other improvements so that you know when when something's going in they're getting something new especially in some of the lower wealth communities um, so I hate to do this because I have a bunch of questions that I was going to ask but we do have time constraints so I did want to ask Caitlin one more thing and we're going to open it up to uh, audience questions so we have enough time um, so Caitlin I just wanted you to I did uh, just because I'm intrigued personally about the the Greenway wall that you mentioned that the rotating mural project could you just say a little bit about that and what the funding mechanism for that is and then I'll, we can open it up for uh, Q&A sure um, so when I was at the Rose County Greenway this is a contemporary park system that runs um, on top of a, a tunnel system so when they did the big infamous big dig project in Boston um, and taking the elevated highway down they put a park over the top um, so it runs from Chinatown all the way up to the north end and if you can imagine this park that big dig project went 20 years too long and you know way 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 over budget and so by the time they got to making the parks there they were skimping on a lot um, but there was a nonprofit created the Rose Kidney Greenway Conservancy to oversee um, the parks and animate them and activate them well this is a this was a space that for you know 25 years plus nobody wanted to go in their city it, it was either under construction or there it was a dark and dangerous place below elevated highway so public art really became a tool um, for the the park system to to draw people in um, into what was sort of a very sterile um, environment and um, we we created a plan for public art it was only a five-year plan because these parks were brand new and always changing um, but the Greenway wall was there was a major intake structure um, smack dab in one of these parks and it completely obstructed your view that there was a, another park just beyond it um, but we created a we created a collaboration between the ICA the Institute of Contemporary Art um, and it ended up, at first, it was kind of a, a happen chance. Um, Os Gemios, their um, Brazilian street Some artist. Some of my absolute favorite <laughs> street artists of all time. Happened to have an exhibition at the ICA. Oh my god, that's awesome. And they were looking for a wall, and we had this really weird. They're world famous uh, street <laughs> artists. We had this really weird shaped wall, and they were like, this is amazing. Um, so that started it, and it was funded um, really by the ICA initially, but we had to get the um, MassDOT state engineer, traffic engineers, to say yes to this. Um, so that was the biggest hurdle, was, was getting them to allow an artist, to graffiti artists to paint, street artists to paint. Graffiti in quotes. Yeah, street, they're very talented. Um, to paint something on this uh, big structure. Um, and they painted a giant, a giant guy, um, a kid, like a kid <laughs> look, in pajamas. Look, it's Osa, how do you spell it? O-S space. O-S-G-E-M-E-O-S. Um, so it was, was it was colorful and you're turning this sort of like ugly dingy thing into this pop of vibrant color. Um, Very colorful art, yeah. And the, so the That's only awesome. way they said yes was that if it if we promised it would be temporary. And so 
when it came time to for this piece to go away, um, the Bo the Boston Giant, we just said it, it can't like we can't stop. We need to. There's got to be something else. Yeah. So we asked, so cool. well, you know, can we instead of removing it, can we just paint another one? Um, and so we came up with a program that would rotate between the major art institutions in Boston. So it was ICA, then the MFA was next, um, and they um, picked a, an amazing artist to do something. Um, and so it goes every 18 months, it, it turns over. And that's still and going on. And it's still going on. Um, so awesome. The Greenway now has a, a curator that has, has taken on the curation. but. Um, yes, not not city government run, yeah. which definitely changes things completely. Yeah. Um, and they got funding um, from the the New England Foundation for the Arts. Um, that was initial project to launch their strategic. Plan. They do a lot of uh, public art funding, I believe, as mm -hmm. well. Right. So I apologize because I I had other questions to ask, but we are on a time constraint. So if uh, we do have a microphone here, if anyone has any. Questions, Clinton, you can ask your question again. <laughs> uh, I've just got three quick questions for all of you. Uh, Rob, how much did you get paid for the 80 foot wall? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> Specifically. I think it was 1600 Okay, cool. And then how much was the Green Giant for the Boston Giant? Um, I think our budget for that every year was 30000 Okay. And, and for the boxes, the light boxes. The boxes, the boxes starting out in 2015 was 1,250 dollars, and I've got a breakout per uh, traffic box, and that budget got increased a little bit, of course, with inflation and increase of materials, uh, and then we came up with the program. Then they came up with the program. Actually, they just went around and cleaned up the boxes to make sure that they still were fresh. And in some cases, uh, just uh, let new artists put other things on but the James Brown pieces it's famous I mean people come around from around the world take a picture of that and that one. includes the artist stipend uh, that's the, the artist stipend yes it was um, I've got a breakout but it was something like you know two, $200 for supplies I think the artist got $850 uh, and then it, it, it trickled down from there but uh, starting out in 2015 the artist stipend per box was or the cost per box was $1,250. And we did 23 boxes. Um, this may have been answered, but I'm curious, what was it in, specifically Caitlin, uh, what was it in the community of Chattanooga with the people? Was it the mayor that made these decisions so that public art was uh, so embraced by the community? The community came out in full regalia to, to initiate this as well. So. Trying to find similarities in our cities, but also the differences, and what are those differences, and can we find conversation on yeah, that? Or you might have answered that in a lot of ways. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think the the initial planning. I think the importance of that master plan and the community engagement that goes into that master plan. Um, the initial one in two thousand three. Um, was part of a larger planning effort for the city, but they had specific focus groups on public art and, and reached over 600 you know, community members that gave input on that. Um, and then um, our most recent one, again, um, really um, going into neighborhoods, going into the community, having surveys online in Spanish, handing out popsicles and you know an ice cream and <laughs> just like really tr trying to go beyond just the arts community to the broader community and get as much response um, saying that this was important and for all various different reasons and I think that really again is, I can't say enough you know as you saw in the projects that we have but that yes we all know that art is important for art's sake and that it's vital to our our lives as creative people but that um, this isn't just an elitist thing this is this is something that affects us all and that um, we all need in our lives and is essential um, and, and can do so many different things for different communities that's an excellent point that's, that's a great answer <laughs> and if I could a follow-up question um, for Melanie mm -hmm. Thinking about city officials and what do you think might be one of the biggest issues for the reticence in our city to 
make these things happen? Where are the liabilities? And is there fear of some kind of um, problem litigation, things like that, do you think? Um, well, I, I know that with the policy document that, that um, the staff has been working on, I gave them some feedback of some of the challenges with regards to ownership and some other things with regards to some of the art that I'm sure that they have looked at and will so you're talking in, about? but you're talking about fear from the community or fear with regards fear to moving of, forward uh, artwork getting uh, damaged or falling well I mean that's what I'm saying that's why that's why I talked about the liability I think you have to have a policy that that really talks about you know ownership of the art you know who deals with maintenance deal you know deal with the liability things of that nature but I also think too that it's important for um, people to see value in it. I mean, I think that you know, art just like the landmark district, which, as we all know, was threatened at one time, is really important to me. That's art in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, in that, if you've got unique pieces and unique, you know, public art that people want to come to the city to look at, in addition to the landmark district, then you can kind of promote it as, you know, something that you know would enhance tourism. But I do think that you have to have a hook. Um, I think that a lot of people don't want to pay more taxes. And I only mention that because I was very surprised when they did a rollback um, and it was $2 million, uh, which does not sound like a lot of money. And technically, I guess it's not, but it was a big deal for them to do that. And I understand. I mean, it's, 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 it's you know, people don't want to pay more taxes. But I do think that as a community, we have to figure out where we want to place our values and if you're in a neighborhood, that's why I suggested maybe somebody gets together and they decide that they want to create a, a, a you know an art you know an excuse me an artist boundary or art boundary where you're saying you're willing to pay more money in taxes, but the money will go within that boundary area to promote and support innovative art. So maybe you end up with a you know working with the city to have a park that might be a, a venue that could display really cool and unique art. There's a lot of innovative ways to deal with making sure that if you want it, you can get it, but if this other community doesn't want it, they don't have to deal with it. And I do think that in this environment, and just in Georgia period, or you know, in the South, that, that's, that you have to be really strategic about you know, introducing art, because art means a lot of stuff to different people. Mm -hmm. And you can end up with some that looks great, and, and I've been in situations where I've seen some beautiful pieces, and then I've been in situations where we were just arguing about what would work. And quickly, perfect example is the World War II Museum uh, at the mall in DC. Mm -hmm. That was the Thriller from Manila fight. Um, that came in. Uh, we went back and forth. They they brought the whole world to try to get us in, in, in PC to agree that it would be okay to have a, a, a big thing of shooting water to break up the view of the mall. And they wanted to have seating that was twice as big as the seats now if you've ever been there. Uh, we were vigilant with regards to what went on the mall. I think that when you're going into dealing with public art, you really have to think about what the overall impact is and be creative with regards to where it's placed uh, and, and be respectful based on where it's placed. You're listening to Art on the Air's special presentation of the Public Arts Panel Discussion from the New Cultural Arts Center on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. Now back to the talk. Can, can I ask about just about that though? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things like uh, you you know you mentioned like the 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 two million dollars um, that were cut from the city budget. I think like you know in speaking with a lot of art folks like pe artists and such, it's really not about getting a piece of the city budget that people think of. It's more like getting a dedicated funding source that is not necessarily tied to the city budget. Like for example attaching a small fee to every ticket that's sold at the arena could be a good example. Or at, you know, maybe some of the money that goes to the, like Visit Savannah or Bed Task, uh, a percentage of that could be used to make you know, public art or something along those lines. So that's, like, that's one thing. And then the second thing is, is that when you know you're talking about being careful about the way that you place public art, like how do we make that conversation happen where there is a dialogue that's not just people at the top making a decision about how we're going to do that but that also engages like 
the artists and the community because I think one of the challenges right now, and I think as an artist, is that a lot of people are saying, well, we want public art, and it doesn't necessarily feel, and I'm very engaged right. that we're at the table. So it's like there isn't, there doesn't feel like there's a dialogue. There. Well, there, that's because there's not, and I was just talking with Hitlin about the fact that uh, starting out even Savannah, there might need to be a discussion of having a half cents tax that goes to you rent a car, anything. If you're coming into Savannah, you're paying you know half a cent. That might not sound like a lot, but it adds up mm -hmm. with regards to uh, having a pool. The reason I mentioned the two million dollars, I only mention it because it was it, it, it to me it's the pulse of what people are willing to pay for. It didn't have anything to do with funding. We talked about having a staff person that would work with the neighborhood. You still have to have resources, even if you want to have advocacy to support that. The other thing is that there needs to be a master, if you have a master plan or a strategic plan, whether it's five years, 10 years, that gives the artists as well as the people in the community the opportunity to talk about you know, what they would like and where they'd like to see it placed. And you know, that's the venue to do it. That's why that's something that's really important because it gives everybody an opportunity to talk about it, to express themselves, to say, you know, you might have an older neighborhood that says, we absolutely don't want anything. We like, we like what we like. Um, and you might have a newer neighborhood that's transitioning that says, oh, we want modern art and we want to see a lot of stuff. So you need to have that document or have that strategy in place where everybody's at the table. And it needs to be something that's a living document that's looked at every couple years because mm -hmm. there will be a change in what people can live with with regards to you know, art and, and their pulse for funding. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Caitlin can, can um, uh, say more about that, but that's why I mention the money. It still takes money to fund somebody to do some of the additional work that is needed to move things forward. The best situation for you to be in is to have a separate commission that gets funding from the, you know, the National Arts group and some other nonprofits that would fund it so that you can, they are looking at different projects and you can do what you need to do as an artist um, to be to be placed uh, publicly where people can appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I would say like our, like our strategic plan was very little actually about locations and placement and mostly about what the community wanted to see and we started our planning process with a focus group with local artists so you know understanding and then and even amongst the local artists there was very different opinions mm -hmm. about you know what should be happening and not just with public artists asking the local artist community what do you need like what are you what opportunities are you looking for um, not all artists want to be public artists, but um, you know there were things that they wanted and that we could help as the public art office. You know we can't, you know, hand out opportunities left and right, but we can um, help provide resources and make connections and and, um, and and do that. So what we, you know, I would say like what was most helpful for us because we were actually in a very reactive place of like. There's funding for art, but it's not becoming, it's coming from all these other places. Like, we want to have a direction and we want to know what the community's priorities are because we don't want to just be doing whatever gets funded. Good talk. In terms of the city budget, it was announced yesterday that the uh, city's going to fund the uh, uh, cultural affairs about $680,440 for all the recommended grants for next year. There's no cushion for anything else, um, it's only based on what it is. Um, beyond that, however, there is no uh, city's master plan, uh, though one has been discussed. More importantly, though, we're talking about a dedicated funding plan, and we have one, and it's called the Lodging Tax. Okay. And the Lodging Tax, in part, there's, one, there's a fourth organization, I forget what it is, but the Lodging Tax is uh, contributing the tax money to the city, to CETA, to, uh, in this case, the, the business of Savannah, uh, and there's a fourth one. And I don't know beyond CETA, but I don't think that lodging tax is actually being applied towards anything that's going to support arts and culture. Tourism, yes, and that's what it's dedicated towards. But, you know, fancy sidewalks is one thing, but, you know, uh, public uh, mural projects is another. And it may be time to uh, re-examine the lodging tax and what it's being used for. Mm -hmm. 
as I say. I think that's a great point. That's a great idea. Yeah. And totally there, agree. There are some great um, numbers and figures that arts and economic prosperity studies that American yeah. for the art Americans for the Arts have put out the where Americans you can arts show how much cultural tourism is contributing to Savannah and that you will have more of that if you invest in public art. Yeah. Yes. We actually included that survey that specific data with oh, the yeah. arts and culture questionnaire when we sent that out to the to the candidates and it's actually on the city of savannah government website so it's definitely something that i mean at least you would think somebody is some yeah they're thinking about it tom go ahead yeah um, i think a lot of this has been focused kind of on public art that is things that exist out in the public but uh you know, the Seattle 1% uh, for the Arts funds for artwork that's installation, production, and maintenance, as well as, uh, you know, supports artwork that are in, on, or around buildings. We have municipal buildings, mm -hmm. we have public libraries, and so on. No, that's a great point. You know, uh, I don't know how that's being integrated into the planning to get art out there. All I could say is that I haven't, I haven't really been in, involved with regards to the specifics with regard, you know, for placement of art, but that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, I mean, I have tons of pictures that we could have shown, but I wanted to make sure that we at least used this because it's in a public space. Uh, it was done in partnership with the Arts Commission. The artists can sell their work and they host an event. They used to do it monthly. I'm not That's sure amazing. if they do it uh, where the artists get to come in and uh, we used to actually let staff come down to do a view. And if it was if it was chilly, we had hot chocolate and some cookies. It wasn't like it was you know some big extravagant event, yeah, but it was an opportunity for the folks coming in to get to experience art. Mm. It was an opportunity even for some of the students, as I said, elderly folks that just got into art for the first time, got to display their work and actually sell it. There were some very talented people. Uh, we also have areas in the building, the way that it's designed, where you know sculptural artists could display their work uh, and sell it. So you know, we basically tried to make sure that as we were kind of getting to this point of looking at, at incorporating art, and I was on the advisory group with for the Arts Commission um, that we did that. We also did in the plan, there's a huge section that talks about the economic benefit, and I, I do and I can't stress enough the importance of really talking about cultural tourism and really mm -hmm. kind of focusing on the fact that it brings in dollars. If you've got something in, in an artist displaying that people want to see or want, you know, or want to experience, depending on uh, what it is, then people will come and in, 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 uh, participate to do that. I was just going to add, you know, the, the capital, the art and capital dollars are as flexible as your policy is written. Um, and we are using um, those dollars for the planning of public art projects, which includes um, public engagement, and we're hiring local artists across disciplines to use their practice as a, a tool for engaging communities and, and understanding um, their priorities, and, and there's so much you can garner through the creative process that can't be captured in a public meeting where you're right. having to like raise your hand right. and, and speak in front of an audience. So that's, we're really excited um, because, you know, our local artists have been you know, wanting, wanting us to find out, figure out ways to support the local community, and, and that's proving to be a really great way we can do that. That's awesome. Let's wrap it up, and if you have any other questions, maybe we have a minute to, like, afterwards we can chit-chat a little bit. But thank you guys all for coming out in this uh, weather, and let's give the uh, panel a round of applause. Thank you. thank you guys all for coming out. I appreciate it. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at wruu.org. 
And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.